Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so happy you're with me today because, friends, I'm enjoying the book of Hebrews more than I could ever express. And I hope you are enjoying going through it with me. Oh, it's so deep. It's so rich. It's so full. And today is no exception. As we come to the end of chapter 4, we're going to be studying verses 14, 15, and 16. And, oh, my friends, the treasures of the Word of God that we are going to unfold and unpack today. I just hope it's as meaningful to you as it has been to me in studying and preparing. I can truthfully say the book of Hebrews is changing my life. Well, I'm calling today Confidence in Christ. And the reason why is because this is the entire point of the book of Hebrews. This original audience, this Hebrew audience, they were constantly in temptation, constantly in danger of drifting back into their old lifestyle, back into what was comfortable, back into what was safe, back into religion, Judaism. And you know, my friends, the danger is, is the same for us today. Oh, my friends, if you are looking to anything other than Christ, if you are trusting in anything other than Christ, if it's your good works, if it's good morality, if it's good intentions, if it's simply church or religion, then, my friends, you're replacing Christ. And so the warning is the same for us. We must have our confidence, our confession, our confidence in Christ alone. And that's what we are going to see today in these beautiful scriptures of Hebrews chapter 4. I'm glad you're with me today on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Hebrews chapter 4. Today, I want to examine only verses 14, 15, and 16. We're going to conclude chapter 4 today, but I want to ask you a few questions. Questions that I have been pondering and thinking on quite deeply. And my conclusion, the biblical answer has really surprised me. I want to ask you today, and I'll ask you not to answer out loud, just think within your heart and think within your mind, and let's come to a biblical answer. When Jesus was in his flesh, when Jesus walked the earth, did he struggle with sin? If our text today says that he was tempted in every respect, or in every point in which we ourselves are tempted, yet he was without sin, what does that really mean? Did Jesus ever feel the temptation of sexual sin? Did Jesus ever feel the temptation for adultery? Was Jesus ever tempted with homosexuality? Was Jesus ever tempted to tell a lie or to take a shortcut 
or to sin? I think the biblical answer might surprise you as much as it has surprised me. My goal today, I'm calling today, confidence in Christ. I believe that's the point of Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16. The point is to give us a remarkable and an unshakable confidence in who Christ is and what he does. See, the problem with the audience of the book of Hebrews is that their faith was becoming insecure. I realize that as I preach today, in a room this size, in an online audience the size that it is, I realize that there are many who are insecure in their faith. Perhaps today you feel shaken in your beliefs. Perhaps today you feel shaken within your faith. And the whole point of this text is to give us confidence in who Christ is. And what was happening with the Hebrews is they had walked away from Judaism, which meant they were no longer welcomed to the temple. They could no longer do animal sacrifices. There were no more visiting of the priests. Everything about their faith was invisible. Think about that. And they were being drawn away from this faith in Jesus, from this invisible belief that Christ had replaced Judaism. And they were feeling the draw to go back to the temple to take their animal for sacrifice. They were feeling the draw to something they could see and something they could touch and something they could hear. And brothers and sisters, I propose to you today that nothing has changed. How difficult it can be to hold to our confession of faith when you cannot see God. How difficult it can be to hold to our confession of faith when you don't feel prayers being answered. How difficult it is sometimes when you have more questions than what it seems to be answers. The temptation is the same for us that it was to them and it is to rely on other things, whether it's our own thinking whether it's our own emotions, whether it's our own good works, whether it's our own good intentions. Recently, Sadie and I were just lying in bed before going to bed one night and she pulls up a TikTok video. I loathe TikTok. A lady said, well, but you know what? A lot of people preach the gospel on TikTok. I said, to who, Beijing? That's a joke. You don't get it. It's okay. You don't have to laugh. It's okay. It's all right. But Sadie pulled this video up for me, and it was this Jewish lady who was born into Judaism. 
and just how timely it was the way we're walking through Hebrews. And Sadie wanted me to listen to a couple of her videos, and they were very intriguing and very fascinating. And in it, she proudly talked about all the law and all the rituals and all the things that must be observed. She actually said that in Judaism, there's 600, forgive me, I don't know if she said 613 or 619 laws that must be observed. And as I'm listening to this young lady speak, who was so articulate and so warm, and she just draws you in. She was very pleasant. But I thought, oh, what pressure. And it's no wonder throughout the entire New Testament, it's no wonder that they beat that rhythm like a drum. You can't get into God's approval by good works. And here, all of these videos that I listen to and hear all of her faith and all of her religion and all of her hope was in her works. And I just kept thinking, what incredible pressure. And here, this audience, the writer is telling them, no, it's no longer your works. It's what Christ has done. It's no longer your goodness. It's Christ's mercy. What a different world to live in. And as Sadie and I explored those videos and explored those thoughts, it just brought a new level of gratefulness to my heart that salvation is by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves lest any man should boast. Salvation is the gift of God, not the works of man. So let's understand the text today. Verse number 14, look at it with me. Since then, we... Now I want you to notice, first of all, I just want you to note how many pronouns the author uses throughout not just this chapter, but particularly the three verses we're in today. I just want you to note the we, the ours, the us. Notice all of the pronouns that is used here. I love that the author doesn't see himself as aloof. The author does not segment himself and say, well, you should do this, or you should think that way, or you should behave this way. No, he brings himself right into the narrative. I love that. Note all the pronouns used. And notice what he says first. Since then, we, community, born again, the family of God, and that includes us today who are born again, we have a great high priest. If you're going to take notes today, I'm going to borrow this thought from Warren Wearsby, who is now in heaven with the Lord and a great Bible teacher. He notes in this section of Scripture, there are two, thing, two things that are supreme about Jesus. Number one, his person, and number two, his position. Who is our great high priest? It's not Aaron. It's not Melchizedek. It's not some priest in today. No, 
Who is our great high priest? None other than Jesus, the Son of God. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people who grew up going to the temple. He's writing to people who know what the day of atonement is. He's writing to people who know what animal sacrifices are. And the very day that you take your animal and you have Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, all of your sin is cleansed. But see, now these people, they're getting shaky. <laughs> they're getting nervous because they're not going to temple anymore. They're not taking animal sacrifices anymore. What if there's not cleansing for them? What if there's not true salvation for them? What if there's not forgiveness of sins for them? And so what the author is going to do, he's going to clearly, he's going to firmly establish there is no longer a need for a priest in your life. Why? Because we don't just have a priest in Jesus. We don't just have a high priest in Jesus. No, we have a title that is reserved for no other in the scriptures, not for Aaron, not for Melchizedek, as we'll see in chapter five. We have Christ who has the title that is supreme, that is superior above all others, the great high priest, the final, the sufficient, the supreme, the great high priest. Look what he says next. Who has passed through the heavens. Oh, I love that. Because see, you have to understand, a Jewish mind knew exactly what the author meant. And what does he mean, passed through? Well, see, the, the, the high priest would go through the outer court. And people weren't allowed beyond the outer court. You and I, if we were a Hebrew in this day, you and I could not go past the outer court. We could not. Priest could go into the inner court. Oh, but only one. Only one. The high priest could go only one time a year, the day of atonement into the holy of holies where the mercy, sat, where the mercy seat sat. See, all of this is going to come into play in verse number 16. Keep this in the back of your minds because when we get down to verse 16 and he says, so then let us draw near to the throne of grace. The imagery is the holy of holies. Only one man, one time a year, could go beyond the outer court, the inner court, into the holy of holies. And do you know what a serious issue that it was? Say there were any unconfessed sin within that high priest's life. Do you know what would happen to that high priest in the Holy of Holies in the very Shekinah presence of God at the mercy seat? Do you know what would happen to him? He would drop dead. No joke. And so serious of a matter was it that, do you know what they did? Read it in the scriptures. If somebody dropped dead, who's going to go get him? Uh, not me. 
They put bells on the bottom of his robe where they could hear him. They'd put a rope on his foot. And should he drop dead, they'd pull him out. Serious thing to go into the Holy of Holies. One man, the high priest, one time per year. And that was it. But since then, we have a great high priest who has not passed the outer court, the inner court, into the Holy of Holies. What has our high priest done? Well, do you remember when he died upon the cross? You remember what happened to the mighty veil that separated God and man in the temple? It tore in two. Who tore it? God. And now, what has Christ done? He has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? When he ascended, he passed through the atmospheric heavens. Oh, see, that's what Jeff Bezos and all these other guys are messing with. Christ passed through the atmospheric heavens. He passed through the celestial heavens. And where did he go? Into the third heaven. And what is that? (laughs) That is where what are the shadows upon the earth, the temple, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. Those things are but shadows. Heaven is the reality. And according to chapters 9 and 10, Christ presented his own blood forever cleansing sin. Forever. What were shadows in the temple became reality in heaven. Can we say amen today? He passed through the heavens. I just... I can't imagine what it was for a Hebrew to read this. They had to just been shaking their head going, wow. Now, look what he does. He shows us the person of Christ. Jesus, the Son of God. Why is it worded that way? Why does the Holy Spirit do that? Because it's showing us that Christ in his flesh, Jesus, was humanity. Christ in his deity is God. Jesus' humanity, Son of God, deity. Why is this so important? Because what does the office of a priest do? It represents the people before God. And because Christ was clothed In flesh, because he took on a robe of flesh, he could now represent humanity. What's our key word that we've talked about over and over? Because he became a near kinsman redeemer, he can now represent us before God as our great high priest. He has passed through the heavens into the very real holy of holies, into the very throne of God. How? Jesus, his humanity, Jesus, his flesh, Jesus, his manhood, 
but yet his deity, the very Son of God. Now the writer of Hebrews would tell us, do you see who Christ is? Do you see what qualifies him? Then hold fast to your confession. Don't let anything shake your confidence. Don't look to the shadows. Look to the reality. Don't go back to a man's system. Look to the truth of God's word. I think the Holy Spirit would say the same thing to us in our Western culture today. Now look what verse 15 says. Oh, what teaching this is. For we do not have a high priest. Now remember, what's the person of Christ? Jesus, his humanity, son of God, his deity. But now what's the position of Christ? He's our high priest. Not just a high priest. He is the great high priest, his position. And what does his position do? It enthrones him. Look what verse 15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now that's extraordinary right there. Let me tell you something. Anything you're struggling with today, Jesus understands it. Is that not quite a thought? And that's where Satan would lie to us. He would say that Jesus don't understand what you're facing. And Jesus doesn't understand how you feel. And how can you show your face in church again? How can you raise your hands in worship when you know the failures of your life? How can you really pray when you have various doubts? How can you really read your Bible when so much of it confuses you? What's the point? Why be a hypocrite? Satan never tell you stuff like that. Oh, but see, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Whatever weakness you have today, whatever temptation you face today, whatever trouble you face today, whatever trial or testing you face today, whatever questions you have today, let me tell you, you can take it directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I lived in Israel in this day that Hebrews was written, you and I would have had no access to the high priest. We may have been able to see a Levitical priest if we paid the temple money or brought the right animal. We may have had a smidge of access to a lower level priest, but you and I could have never had the one-on-one attention of the high priest. And yet, you and I, right now today, can pray at any moment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it in these terms. 
If I called today, Eastman is a large corporation here. If I called Eastman on Monday morning and said, I would like to speak to the CEO, do you think they would say, okay, Mr. Roberts, I'll transfer you? Do you think I could speak to him? What if I called our power company and I said, I would like to speak to the CEO of AEP. Do you think they would say, hold Mr. Roberts and we'll transfer your call? No. And those are mere mortals with very clay feet. But yet the king of kings and the Lord of lords you have a personal audience with at any moment. Then why do we pray so little? Why is he so often the last one we go to rather than the first person we go to? Well, we might feel in our hearts like he wouldn't understand or like he would get angry at us or he wouldn't accept us. But no, no, what's the scripture say? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. What a thing that we can take anything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what it says next. And it says very interesting to me. But was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Now, what does that mean that he was tempted in every respect? I want to handle the scriptures very carefully right now. As a matter of fact, let's just pray as we go into this section. Lord, give us discernment and give us ears to hear and help us to handle truth rightly. Help us in this section, Lord, that we not misstep. Shape our view. Shape our perspective with your word. Show us what the Holy Spirit intends, that we would walk away with greater confidence in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to answer the question. Did Jesus ever think about sexual sins? Was he ever tempted by thoughts of homosexuality or adultery? Did Jesus ever have to resist the temptation of lying? I'll confess to you that I believe that my view of Christ and his sinlessness was quite faulty. Several years ago, I preached a sermon series on the temptation of Christ in the wilderness out of Matthew chapter 4. And I called that series, Lies We Believe. You can go back on the Awakened to Grace app and listen to that. Lies We Believe. And I was shocked what I learned in that series in the preparation of it. Prior to that series, I think that I always saw Christ in any temptation to sin 
as a 50-50 chance? Would Christ hold the line? Would Christ pass or would he fail? Would he be the champion or would Satan be the champion? And who would win the battle? My view changed when I studied for that series. When Christ entered the wilderness led by the Spirit of God and Satan tempted him three times, I am of the persuasion it was not to see if Christ would pass or fail. It was not to see if Christ would hold on to victory or not. That was never in question. Christ went through that experience to teach us how to deal with the devil. Christ went through that experience to teach us how to handle temptation. He went through that to teach us that Christ will always hold when it comes to sin and Satan. It's not a question of will he pass or fail. He always leads us in triumphal procession and victory. So my perspective changed. My perspective grew of Christ. But let me tell you what I've learned out of this text. Could Jesus had struggled with internal sins? I believe the biblical answer is emphatically no. And let me explain why. Who was Jesus? He not only was flesh and humanity, he was the holy and the divine son of God. He was not a created angel as Lucifer was and Lucifer fell in sin because he was a created being. Christ is not created in the sense that Adam and Eve were in which they fell into sin. Christ is not created. He is God. James chapter 1 teaches that we, in our humanity, that we are lured away. We are enticed by what? Our internal desires. Friends, Christ did not have those enticements. Do you know why? Because he did not have Joseph's blood in him. The Holy Spirit conceived him. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. That's why he was virgin born. Because he was not tainted. He was not corrupted by the seed of Adam. Therefore, I do not believe that he had the internal enticements that you and I have as being sons and daughters of Adam. This is why I believe the Holy Spirit is so emphatic when he says he was tempted in every point or in every respect as we are. Yes, he faced the temptations, but why did he not yield? Because he is the son of God. Internal, he did not have the enticements. 
That's why I believe the Holy Spirit is so emphatic. Yet without sin. Do you know why you cannot go to a priest today and have salvation within a priest? Do you know why? Because, friends, they're sinners just like you. But do you know why there's salvation in only one name today? And do you know why in that name is our great high priest? Is because he was completely sinless when he walked this earth. And he is the only man, the only flesh. He is the only human who has ever lived a perfect life and sinless life. And how did he do it? Because he is the very son of God. When you contemplate that, do you see how beautiful the language is? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Hold fast. Your confession. What scriptures? He was tempted in every point, in every respect as we are. Oh, he understands temptation. Don't ever let Satan tell you he doesn't understand. He most certainly understands. But why is he the only one who can lead us in our salvation? Because he's the only one who ever truly overcame it to its fullest degree. And how did he do it? Because he is the son of God. So what does that mean? When I bring my sin to Jesus. When I bring my failures to Jesus. When I bring my past to Jesus. When I bring my present difficulties to Jesus. When I bring my weaknesses to Jesus. I'm not going to someone who may be 50-50 pastor failed. I'm not going to someone who maybe 50-50 could overcome Satan or maybe not. I am going to the very son of God who is clothed in flesh, who understands me better than I understand myself and has the power, has the ability to completely and utterly conquer and overthrow sin. And that's why he can help me. What a thought. Yet he was without sin. Not because maybe he would or maybe he wouldn't, but because he was in his nature the deity of God Almighty. Friends, it was... See, let me say it this way and I'll move on. I always saw it as either Christ would win or Satan would win. Friend, it was never even a game. It was never even a competition. Amen? Amen. Victory was always Christ. Always. And that's why if you're trying to do this life alone without Him, if you're trying to answer your questions apart from Him, if you're trying to walk out your faith without His power and without His help, friends, you're doing it wrong. 
you have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Oh, friends, take full advantage of that. Amen? Now, lastly, verse 16. Let me explain this. Is this helping anyone today? Verse 16. Okay, so here's the conclusion. So then... I like the conclusion. That's why I, like, that's why I think Paul wrote this. Paul was great with conclusions. He would give doctrine, then he'd give application. Doctrine and application. Doctrine and application. And now, here is the grand conclusion. So then, what are you and I to do? What are these Hebrews wanting to do? They're wanting to slip back into Judaism. They're wanting to drift back into their old lifestyle. They're wanting to go to something they can see, something that is visible, something that is tangible, something they can touch. And here they're putting their eternal future, they're putting their soul, they're staking everything that Christ is who He says He is. But they're watching everybody else go to temple. What a struggle it must have been for them. And so the writer says, so then, here's what we are to do. You cannot go into the Holy of Holies. You cannot go into the mercy seat. You cannot approach God in that way. But because we now have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who was tempted in every respect that we're tempted, but yet he conquered and he overcame and he never yielded and he was without sin. Why? Because he's Jesus, the Son of God. Here's why your confession matters. Because we have confidence in who Christ is. So then, here's the conclusion. Let us draw near. Oh, Oh, can I just enjoy this for a moment? Friday night, I had the biggest T-bone steak I have ever had in my entire existence. And I just savored it. Oh, it was so good. Can I just take this T-bone of verse 16 right here and let me just savor it for a moment? Draw near. You might want to write this down. This is the first of seven times we see draw near in the book of Hebrews. And it's an extraordinary thought. Why? Because the veil separated us and God. Because the holy of holies, it was restricted to one man, one time per year. And now the Holy Spirit, in the most masterful way, is going to say, you want to go back to Judaism? You want to go back to religion? You want to go back to a man's system? No, Christ is better than any prophet. Christ is better than any angel. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Joshua. And now Christ is better than any Aaron or Melchizedek or any high priest. Why? Because we can draw near. What an extraordinary thought. First of seven times in the book of Hebrews. And it means a continual coming. That's what I love about the word. It's not a one-time pass. 
It's perpetual. It is uh, one, one idea, and, and you should note this. The idea is carried as in forming a habit. Oh, I like that. You know how I am with mornings with God, right? Oh, I love that habit of drawing near. Do you draw near to the Lord? Do you commune with Him? Do you abide in Him? Do you fellowship with Him? Draw near. How extraordinary. And you don't have to have a priest and you don't have to have a pastor. You don't have to have... No, you, you can draw near to God. Let us... See the pronouns again? Draw near, but how? Two words right there. Boldness and confidence. Now, what's that mean? Does that mean that we are to willy-nilly, just, you know, flippantly come into God's presence? Boldness does not have anything to do with a flippant attitude. As a matter of fact, what the, what the word actually means is a frankness in conversation. Think about that. You know what that means? That means I can tell God anything that's in my heart. I can tell God anything about my day. I can tell God about any of my fears. I can tell him about any of my shortcomings. I can tell God about what frustrates me. I can tell God about what angers me. I can tell God about what I'm jealous about. There is not one thing, or say it this way, there's not one weakness then I cannot bring to God. Why? Because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Let us draw near with confidence. Oh, I love that word. And I want you to link this. Do you remember back in chapter three, this is what we linked. There was a profession, which meant confession that was outwardly of the mouth. But then later on in the chapter, there is a confession that is inward of the heart. And I called that the progression of our faith. What begins as an outward profession, what begins as an outward expression or confession, then grows into a deep inward confidence of God. That's what the word is here. Let us hold fast our confession of verse 14. Why? Because what is that confession? It is an outward profession of an inward confidence. And what is our confidence in? It's not in ourselves. Now say amen if you're with me right now. It's not in our good works. It's not in our intentions. It's not in our morality. And listen, it's most certainly not in our religion. It's not in our church attendance. It's not in grandma's faith or mom and dad's faith. No, our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Why? 
because he's the great high priest, because he passed through the heavens, because he is Jesus, the Son of God. That's why our confidence is in Christ. And then lastly, look what he says. Let me break this down for a few more moments. Isn't this just like going to a buffet? Whew, I'm full. Let, let me break this down for you and then I'll, I'll conclude. That we may receive. Now that's good. That we may receive what? Mercy. Oh, now remember, what was the mercy seat? That was the throne of God in Old Testament times. But do you know what is different about the new covenant? Now, there's mercy to be had, that we may receive what? Mercy. But what are we to draw near to? Not a mercy seat, but a what? Throne of grace. You don't see grace in the old covenant. You don't see grace until Christ, who was full of what? Both truth and grace came into our world. And now, what is the throne of God? See, some of you see God as all judgment. You see God as the white-haired man upstairs who's ready to zap you with lightning, who's always angry at you, who's out to get you. No, my friends, let me tell you what we approach. Let me tell you what we now come confidently before. Not a throne of judgment, but a throne of what? Grace. Marvelous grace. Unbelievable. Do you know why Satan wants you afraid of God? Because you know what God has to offer you today? Grace. And Satan doesn't want you to run toward God. He wants you to run away from God. Because you know what's going to happen as you run to God? You're going to find grace in his hands. I promise you that. He now is a throne of grace. Now, what does he say? That we may receive mercy. The word receive right there is passive. And it means past failures is what it refers to. That we may find grace. That word is active. It means we are to seek it right now in our lives. You don't want to write this down if you're a note taker. You'll like this. This is again by Warren Wiersbe. I love his thoughts on the Bible. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. In God's mercy, God does not give us what we do deserve. For what is that? Judgment, death. Punishment, separation. In God's mercy, God does not give us what we do deserve. But note this. But in God's grace, God does give us what we do not deserve, which is His love 
his grace, his forgiveness. Isn't that remarkable? What did Hebrews 3 tell us, or 2 rather? He is a merciful and a faithful high priest. Oh my goodness. And friends, if you'll come to him today, you will receive mercy for all of your past failures and you will find grace for all of your present weaknesses. That's what Jesus does for us. Amen. And lastly, what does he say? That we may find help, that we may obtain grace and find help in time of need. Friends, what does the scripture say? He is a present help in the time of our trouble. Do you need the Lord today? Do you need Jesus today? Why don't you bow your heads? With your eyes closed, your heads bowed. You have a great high priest today in Jesus. Have you gone to him for a confession of your sins? Have you gone to him for forgiveness of your sins? For there is no other. Have you trusted in him wholly and completely for eternal salvation? Are you relying on him for grace and mercy? Are you finding him a daily and hourly help in your time of need? Friends, the entire point of these scriptures is that we would gain extraordinary confidence in Christ. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.